Are you excited to be in the house this morning? Can you give God some praise for being in the house this morning? We're so glad that you're here. Uh, for those of you that I haven't got a chance to meet yet, my name is Will Caesar. I'm the youth pastor here along with my wife, Lindsay. And we just want to say welcome to Dothan First. If you're a guest in the room, if this is your first Sunday or maybe you're watching online, we want to say welcome. Can we give it up for our first time guests this morning? We're so glad that you're here. So with that being said, and you haven't got connected yet, you can do a few things. You can text D1 text to 84576. You can scan the QR code on the screen, or you can grab the connect card from the seat back in front of you. Please fill that out with as much information as you don't mind us having and hold on to it. And at the end of service, you can drop that connect card in the giving boxes, or you can take it to our guest reception space where you get to meet some of our leadership team. We want to encourage you to do that. We want to exchange that connect card for a gift just to say welcome to Dothan First and thank you for being with us. And again, if you're watching online, let us know where you're watching from in the chat. But again, can we give it up for our first time guests this morning? It's going to be a great day and we have some exciting things happening at Dothan First and one of the first things is I want, I want to remind you of is that we are preparing for one of the biggest outreaches that we do every single year and on Saturday April the 8th come on somebody say April 8th sat that Saturday from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. we will do our Easter egg hunt and this is an opportunity for you to take pictures with the Easter Bunny inflatables thousands of eggs petting zoo face paint it's going to be a great time so please invite someone you should have already received one of those uh bring invitation cards this will be a great time to use that and it's going to be a party but what we're asking is since this is an outreach is we're asking you to partner with us in bringing people on our campus and you can sign up for our easter uh easter egg hunt that happening that saturday it's in the main lobby right in the middle uh, as you exit today so please if you do not have little ones uh, small children or grandkids and you want to partner with the vision of this house we want to invite you to do that and then Sunday somebody say Sunday April 9th we will have two Easter services one at 9 a.m. one at 10:45 a.m. this is again we want to double our kingdom impact we want to give as many people an opportunity to hear the gospel message to hear the, about the resurrection of Jesus and it's going to be a great day and we're challenging you not only to invite someone but to bring someone. You also saw in the lobby the Praying for the Lost card. I hope you've been utilizing that, writing names down of people and family members and coworkers and neighbors that you've been praying for. Uh, let's take that a step further. Maybe you started with writing that name down. Maybe it's time to reach out to those people and invite them to one of our Easter services at 9 a.m. or 1045. And so, because we know the real purpose of Easter, we want them to know the real reason for Easter, amen? Uh, and another thing we want to remind you of, uh, besides all that other, all those other important details, we believe nothing looks better on you than purpose. Somebody say purpose. And we got some nice merch out in the lobby. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm modeling some of it for you today. Uh, some of us other people, the leadership team is modeling it as well. Please stop by that. Uh, check some of the merch out. If you don't have, uh, if we don't have your size available, a lot of it's been selling out so far. There's a QR code where you can, uh, you can buy something there as well. But again, we got some great things going on at Dothan First. How many are excited for today? Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, now is the time where we get to give, and I know that God has blessed me, and I'm sure he's blessed you. And you'll see right now on the screen there are five ways to give. Uh, we want you to utilize that as we're getting ready to give our offerings and our tithes back to the Lord. It's an act of worship. And so as you're preparing for that and right before we pray, I just want to give you a little missions update. One of the things that we're doing in this, with the students at Youth First 
is uh, this Wednesday, April the 5th, we're doing our Big Give Night. And it's going to be student ministries all across Alabama that are partnering together to give the largest one-time offering in one night. And so I'm asking you to partner with us. What we did was we challenged 100 young people to give $100 in hopes to give $10,000 in one night. And so they're so generous, you're generous. If you want to partner with, with what we're doing, uh, again, we challenge you to do that. We ask you to do that. But we believe in being generous because that's what the gospel asks of us. So again, as we get ready to pray over this offering and uh, continue this act of worship, I want, to I want to lead us into a prayer. And I'm asking God to move in this service. Can you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the people in this room. Thank you for the generous givers in this room. Thank you for what you're going to do in this room. We are glad to be in the room today. And I'm reminded right now that your word says you love a cheerful giver, not those who give out of compulsion, but those who give the way that you give. So whatever number you place on our hearts and whatever we're supposed to give in tithing and offering, Lord, we, we, we humbly submit it back to you. And we ask that you bless us. And Father, we also ask that you be with the families that were impacted by the tragedy that took place in Nashville. That not only do you uh, your, your generous hand be on us, but that your grace and your mercy and your peace be on those people and protect our city as well. And we ask that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Go ahead and check out the screens for a message from our pastors. Good morning, church family. We are missing you this morning, but today is an amazing day. Our children are going to be joining us. It's Palm Sunday. Yeah, it's and they are awesome. going to be waving their palm branches here in a minute and worshiping Jesus. And hey, next weekend That's is right. a big, big weekend. And we'll start on Saturday with our Easter egg hunt. So kids, um, Get your baskets and join us at 10 a.m. for our Easter egg hunt. Parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, get any kid that you know and get them here for that big, big day this next Saturday at 10 a.m. for our Easter egg hunt. That's right, and then Sunday is Easter, and we're gonna have two services. You don't wanna miss either one. As a matter of fact, you can serve one and attend one to just help us. And I would suggest that you try to find a location for parking as far away from the building as possible if you're, if you're a normal attendee, because we wanna make as much room as we can for our first time guests that'll be joining with us. So listen, it's gonna be a great day today. My dad is here today. He's gonna to be sharing the word of God with you in an illustrated message, which you can already see on stage. Listen, I want you to do this. Would you stand up with us and worship the King together? Come on, let's worship God.
celebrate your goodness. Lord, we celebrate your joy. We're so grateful, God, that you give us joy. And no matter what the circumstances are, God, we can receive that joy, Lord. That's a promise from you. It's a fruit of your spirit. So we just thank you for it this morning. We're so glad you're here to worship with us today. As we continue into this next song, we want to let you know that we have prayer partners. Our elders are available to pray with you in the back, uh, on the lower floor, in the two back corners, as well as up in the balcony. Uh, they will be ready and willing uh, to pray with you and agree with you about any need that you have. So we just want to invite you to do that. So let's continue to worship the Lord this morning.
Father, we give you all the glory, all the honor and the praise to your name this morning. We thank you for the redemption that we have through Jesus' blood. We come today humbly before you, before your table, and we ask, Lord, that every person in this room would sense and feel and know the presence of Almighty God, because you're here power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for showing up. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Aren't you thankful for the sweet presence of the Lord this morning? I tell you, and thank you, Pastor Adam and worship team and all that you do every week. You guys are just wonderful. Don't you love and appreciate our worship team? They really are special. Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing? How's the kids? How's the grandkids? How many have grandkids? Oh, yeah. Aren't they awesome? Yeah, we'd have had them first, right, if we'd known how wonderful they really are. Yeah. Somebody said, what is it? Grandkids are your reward for not having killed your own kids. <laughs> anyway, it is good to see everybody here this Palm Sunday. And uh, for those of you that are watching online, uh, we are glad you are here. In fact, Pastors Mark and Michelle are probably watching right now. Would you just wave at them? Come on, give them a wave. And now let them know you really appreciate them. <laughs> So we welcome all the online folks. We know we have military serving around the world that uh, tune in on a regular basis and watch us. So we include you here today, those of you who are online. It's a very special day celebrated around the Christian world called Palm Sunday. You saw our kids coming in with the palms this morning, and that's because the week before Easter, when Jesus was celebrated in the streets, it was, uh, they waved the palm branches and uh, cheered him in, feeling like the kingdom of God has come, the Messiah has come. But by that Friday, those who hated him will be calling for his crucifixion. Not the same crowd, I'm convinced. And so this week, which is called Passion Week, and I think I'm going to need some water up here. Tommy or Kathy, just give me one of those little waters. I'd appreciate it. Um, it's called Passion Week because it's very sacred to us. It, it ends with the greatest triumph in all of the celebrations of Christianity, the resurrection. And uh, how many are excited about Resurrection Sunday? Huh? Are you excited about next week? Come on, I, I, the whole weekend is set aside to celebrate and to rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I do hope 
Anoint your car by filling the back seat with your neighbors, right? Bring them here. Invite somebody to come. We always invite our neighbors every year, and, and it's a time that people are more open to coming than perhaps other times, so we encourage you to do that. We have some cards that you can use to help you. But Pastor Mark has been sharing with me his message in his spirit that will make you stand up and shout hallelujah next week. So I, I encourage you to invite others to be here. When Pastor Mark asked me to preach, he made me a, a special request of me, which is very unusual. I don't know if he's ever really done that before. He said, Dad, would you just, would you do communion and would you make the service about that? Would you illustrate it in some way to make it more meaningful than just receiving the elements? And so, of course, I, I prayed about this and, and I felt that the confirmation of the Holy Spirit to celebrate communion in a special way today. Um, to remember the Lord's death, as he said, till he comes. And the price that he paid for our redemption. And so that's what I'm going to do with the help of the Holy Spirit this morning. And, and uh, I trust that it will be a blessing to you. And Are you ready for the word? All right. Would you turn with me to Matthew's Gospel? Chapter 26 in your paper Bible or your smartphone or whatever electronic device you happen to have. I think I've got five translations on my phone now, five or six. But um, turn with me to Matthew 26. And you can follow along, by the way, with an outline that we have for you on the YouVersion app. Uh, go down to the bottom of the page and go to More and then to events, and then Dothan first. While you're turning there, let me set this up for you. In the Christian church worldwide, there's two, two basic primary ordinances. The first one is water baptism. And maybe the fine points differ from denomination to denomination, but these are the two ordinances that the Christian church celebrates worldwide. Um, Basically, two ordinances, and, and, and they're both celebrated. It's very interesting that the Lord shows that both of these are celebrated with object lessons. Both of them. One is water baptism, where the new believer is representing now the old life, and we put them underneath the water, they come up, and it represents putting our old sins, our own life under the blood of Christ and then come up washed clean uh, through his blood and the life that we now have in Jesus Christ. The old passed away and dead, the new alive and living in Jesus Christ. And by the way, isn't water baptism exciting? Don't you love it when, they, when we have people baptized? And I'm sure that we're going to be seeing that pretty soon in the near future. And uh, so water baptism is the first ordinance, and it's one of the first commands that the Lord gave to us after he rose from the grave and before he ascended into heaven. And so if you've not been baptized, can I just say to you, do it. And we will be cheering you on as you do. Is that right, family? We will be cheering you on. Second, though, the second ordinance is the Holy Communion are called Eucharist in some churches. 
And it's that profound moment when we essentially join with the very first disciples who celebrated the Passover with Jesus Christ at the Lord's table. And we join with millions of believers around the world to celebrate, to remember. (laughs) I'm just wondering who's going to preach this message first. She's already given the altar call. I don't know. What a sweet kid. Hi, darling. (laughs) But Jesus said, remember my death until I come. This is why I do this. And then he illustrated that first communion with himself being the object lesson. And then he instituted what we, we call it an ordinance because Jesus ordained it. It's called an ordinance for that reason. He showed us, and then he says, now I want you to do this. And so this morning, to fully understand this gathering and what we are going to do with the Lord's table, I want to read from Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 17. And would you stand with me in honor of God's word, please? Matthew chapter 17. I'm sorry, Matthew 26, beginning at verse 17. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is near. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. Let's pause there. You know, we're never told who this guy is. But when I get to heaven, I want to find that guy and thank him. Because he submitted himself and was used, he used what he had. He gave what he had to be used of the Lord. And so in the next seven verses, the disciples do as Jesus asked. They prepare the room. But drop down to verse 26, where they're now celebrating the Passover meal together. In the middle of the Passover, Jesus does something unusual and profound. It's an object lesson that they will remember for the rest of their lives for most of them, till their martyrdom. Verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand in awe as we read this story once again. Your love is beyond our comprehension, that you would sacrifice your son for us. And so we need the, hope, the, the help of the Holy Spirit to understand all of this. And so, Jesus, we invite you to sit at the table with us, Spirit of God, hover over this room in holy presence. Make the word so real that we can hear Jesus whisper in our ears, saying, hey, this is for you. And receive that word in the redeeming name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, 
Amen. While you're being seated, turn to somebody and say there's room at the table. Just let them know. Excuse me for sitting, but uh, my 76-year-old legs don't work as well as they used to. My mind is always making contracts that my body can't keep, let's put it that way. So in the verses that follow, Jesus explains the meaning of the broken bread and the cup. But to really understand the setting, I mean, if we could just get in Pastor Josh's kid's first time machine and go back to Exodus 12, we would really understand it a lot better. Go back in history and be able to watch it. Now, you probably know the story because you maybe have seen movies about it. I just happened to flip on uh, our television uh, last night, and there was the Ten Commandments with uh, Charlton Heston. Let my people go, he said. Right? In later times, there's been a lot of other movies. Uh, the Prince of Egypt, maybe some of you have seen that. But the Bible version is the real deal. And you need to read it from there. But if you'll allow me to just summarize the story for a few moments... God's people are in bondage. They're slaves in Egypt. And throughout the rest of the Bible, Egypt becomes a symbol of our bondage, the slavery that we had to sin and all the sorrow that comes with it. Moses was called by God to lead them out of Egypt, you know the story, and into a land of promise. But when he went to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, again and again and again. And so God had to demonstrate his power. And so literally, one by one, God demonstrated his power. He declared war on the false gods of Egypt, beginning with the one that Pharaoh had on the top of his head, by the way, which was a bronze or a gold cobra. And so the they threw down, the magicians threw down these snakes and they're writhing on the floor. And what happens? You remember the story. God says, Moses, throw down your rod. And it becomes a snake and it literally eats and swallows up. God was saying, I'm telling you, Pharaoh, let my people go. But Pharaoh hardened his heart again and again. And one by one, God had to demonstrate his power over the various false gods that Egypt worshipped. One of the last was the sun god. That was their ultimate god. God turned the, the day into night and blotted out the sun until Pharaoh continued to, re, to, to re, would not release the people from their bondage. Finally, after the last warning, God instructed Moses to call, have the people go out into the field and select a lamb, an innocent spotless lamb without blemish and they were to sacrifice that lamb and catch the blood in a basin and with hyssop which was a bush that grows in that area they were to take that leafy plant and use it like a brush and dip it into that blood and strike it and mark over the doorposts of the house and then they were to close that door cloister in gather themselves inside that house for the feast of the sacrificial lamb. That night, God sent judgment over the land of Egypt. 
and any home that was not protected by display of the sacrificial blood, including the household of Pharaoh, the firstborn son was slain and taken in death. So broken now was Pharaoh that he released his hold on the people of God and he let God's people go. And so God's people were led out of bondage into the fulfillment of the promise. Well, from that day until this very day, in fact, Wednesday, the Jewish people still set aside one day each year to remember what happened back then. They remember how through the sacrifice of an innocent lamb and their obedience to be protected by the blood of that lamb, judgment passed over them. And so they call it Passover. It was on that very night, the night of the Passover observance, that Jesus was gathered now around the table with his disciples. And he told them now how he would be the sacrificial lamb without spot or blemish, that he would be sacrificed. And that all those centuries of celebrating this feast were actually a foreshadowing of what was about to happen. His own blood would be shed. And if by faith it is applied to the gateway of one's life, which is our heart, if by that judgment then for our sin and the death that results from it would pass over us. So with the help of my wife and the staff and the team and some dear friends, Jack and Barb Strom, who own the wine press. And uh, I've set the Lord's table a little differently this morning, as you can see. And I set it up not to be different, but rather with the hope of helping you understand the object lesson that we call communion or the Lord's table. Communion is usually one part of the service, but this morning, Pastor Mark asked that the communion itself be the focus on this week of Passover. And so we've set the table with that in mind. We have the bread, and this wasn't actually, this is more for the illustration of it, but that Jesus broke and said, this is my body. It was more of a flat bread that they had on that night. And there are the grapes, as you see. But instead of a glass of juice here, we've loaded grapes into this wine press. And when this wine press is pressed upon these grapes, in order for there to be a cup for Jesus to use, there had to be the crushing and the breaking and the spending of the fruit of the vine. Isaiah calls it wine in the cluster. In order for that brokenness that the wine would then represent his blood when he held up that cup on that night when they celebrated the Passover. So today, as you came in, you were served with some emblems with a grape and a piece of bread, a piece of flat bread inside. And uh, instead of our usual prepackaged communion that with a little the little piece, you've received that prepared cup. And if any of you were missed, by the way, if the 
ushers would please come and just walk the aisle to make sure if anyone did not receive it, we want everyone to have one of these cups. And by the way, they were prepared with the loving hands of staff, elders, uh, using sanitary gloves, the, the, the grapes are washed, and, uh, and then they were sealed with that lid on top. We're going to use these emblems in just a few moments, but for now, just keep the lid covered there, and at the appropriate time, we're going to remove that lid with the cup and the, the, the uh, grape and the bread, and we're going to use those. But what do these emblems mean? That's what we need to talk about for a few moments. The bread is the token of his broken body, he said. The grape is a symbol of his blood, but juice yet to be processed. And we're going to use the wine press as an example of what our sin did to Jesus. We're going to use that because my sin and yours crushed the body of Jesus and broke him. And so you will take the grape and you'll receive that as we partake together and you'll place that fruit in your mouth. And then you will have to spend it to break it, to crush it, to become juice. And that's exactly what our sin did to Christ on the cross. You may not be from this church, by the way, and I want to tell you that that's okay. Here at Dothan, we believe in open communion. It is not about, you know, being a member of this body of Christ. It's a matter of being part of the family of God. You say, well, I'm not sure of that either, Pastor. Well, don't worry about that because I can't think of a better place than right here tonight, today, this morning, to be here because we're going to give you an opportunity to make sure, all of us, that we're right with the Lord before we receive those emblems. We're going to have a time of prayer to make sure of that relationship before we receive those emblems. But let's open the cup together for just a moment. I want you to just look inside at the contents. In a moment, you're going to hold that piece of bread, but look at that bread. <clears throat> and you notice that it's not the little tiny square, but that we're used to receiving. And though it is small, it's actually big enough that you could share it with someone else if you wanted to. And you'll see that it's torn off of a larger round loaf of flat bread. And even if you wanted, <clears throat> excuse me, you couldn't put it back on that loaf, it is unique, that piece of bread. So what is the meaning of that bread? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews 7.27 that Jesus was sacrificed once and for all. In fact, Revelation 13.8 says that the lamb was slain from the foundation of the earth. You see, even before time, God knew that when he gave man the power of free will, the ability to choose, and you realize that in order to love, love is a choice. He had to give you the power to choose if you were going to choose to love him. But he knew as soon as he gave that power to us, at some point, man would fail and would make the wrong choice. And the only way back 
into fellowship with the Creator would be to have a Redeemer, a Messiah. God knew exactly what He was getting into when He created you, that we would sin, that we would fail, and that would open up the curse and remove us from the covering, that perfect covering. And most of all, it would separate us from God and His life, and death would result. And so from the foundation of the world, the Son of God was on assignment until He would take on a human body, just like yours and mine, and that that body would have to be broken. And Jesus knew this was where everything was headed from the time that He walked among His disciples. He was already broken bread when he walked on this earth. He was broken bread when he went into Peter's house and touched his mother-in-law and healed her from the fever. He was broken bread when he gathered the children into his arms or sat them on his lap and said, Don't forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. He was broken bread when he answered the probing questions of Nicodemus in the middle of the night. Aren't you thankful that he has still broken bread? I'm thankful that he takes time to live at our house. Aren't you thankful that he has all the time in the world for you and that he wants to live at your house? He has time to go with you where you work or where you go to school if you're a student. Imagine the creator of the universe sitting with you in Biology 101 it's a little beneath his pay grade, I might just say. But the point is, he had time for people like you and me. He's still broken bread. And it's a mystery to us that after telling us he's the bread, later he tells us that we are the body of Christ. Just as each piece of that loaf that that was taken from is totally unique, so you are totally unique from everybody else on the face of this earth. Where that piece came from, you couldn't put it back on. There's no two pieces alike. Each one of us is unique. And let me tell you, the blessing of God that he has for you is totally unique to your life. The Bible says that his blessings are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. So it's not like the blue plate special of the week, right? And if you happen to get in on it at the right time. No, no. His mercies are new every morning, and he has a blessing for you every single day. And there is loneliness that Jesus sees in that cup. You look at that piece of bread, and you think about what he wants to do for you today. Uh, here's the problem. Here's the problem. You can partake of that cup with the bread only and never experience the juice. You can partake of the bread and never experience the cup. Many years ago, there was a Christian uh, member of the church, and he knew he had a friend who was dying in the hospital, and he said, Pastor, he doesn't know the Lord. He's dying They've given him only days. Would you please go and talk to him, pray for him, 
And would you just see if you could lead him to the Lord? So I went, and I met him, and uh, we enjoyed talking for a little while. And I, I tried to persuade him to let the Lord transform his life, to lead him to Christ before he died. And, you know, it's interesting how sometimes we bargain with God. He said, Reverend, he called me Reverend, if God heals me, I promise I'll serve him for the rest of my life. That's what he said. I said, well, that's wonderful. I said, but right about, what about right now? And he said, well, I'm not ready for that right now. I prayed for him. We prayed for his body to be healed. And you know, God's mercy is amazing. God touched him amazingly. And he, he lived for a number of years after this. And I saw him again. And I said, hey, Mike, God did a miracle, didn't he? He's healed your body, and here you are still, years later, that God has given you. I said, have you accepted Jesus into your life? He said, oh, you know, I've been thinking about it, but I'm not ready for that yet, Reverend. What he was saying was, I like the bread, but I'm not ready for the cup. We can partake of the bread and never enter into the experience of the cup. We can come to church, we can enjoy the worship, the singing, the children's ministry. Pastor Mark's preaching what's not to love. And I think you understand the bread. Even healing itself is a gift from God. That the brokenness of Jesus' body was for the wholeness of ours. By his stripes, he says we are healed. That's the bread. But what about the cup? Do we understand the cross? Do we understand what is in the cup that Jesus lifted in that Passover meal? And before we partake, let me just take time to explain his death on the cross. But you see, on the way to the cross, you can't get to the cross without first going through Gethsemane. It was Gethsemane. It was the garden that the outcome of the battle for your soul and mine was determined. I want you to just think about the cup when Jesus lifted that cup for just a moment. What did he see in that cup? He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. When he looked into that cup, he saw all the sins, all the evil, all of the perversion, everything from the beginning of time, every vile thing. He saw all the bloody wars and, and all of the violence. Yes, he saw Ukraine. He saw the bodies in the streets. He saw Russian bodies. He saw the hundred other conflicts that are not in the news every night. He saw the teenager dying of fentanyl poisoning. And he saw the gang member dying of the bullet wound from the gang war. When Jesus looked into that cup, he saw the betrayals of trust of the innocent. The cries of children violated and abused. 
the sobs of women battered in body and broken in spirit. In that cup he saw the shouts of angry men in the streets where violence separates us from one another. He saw the, and he heard, the bitter voices of young people who have no hero to look up to. He sees the unborn children and the teenage mother who weeps for the childhood that neither one of them will ever have. And there's loneliness in that cup. The long, empty silence of the widowed man or woman after COVID has taken their spouse. And there's no one in the bed next to them anymore. No one to talk to in the empty rooms of their house. Jesus saw silence in the cup. He saw the cold silence between husbands and wives, between sons and fathers, between daughters and mothers. Jesus saw all that in the cup. He saw the cold silence between people who never found a way to love or to be loved. He sees the panicked silence of the child hiding under the bed when the father, the drunken father, bursts into the room. He saw that. There's all that in the cup, all of the pain, all of the brokenness from Eden to Gethsemane and from Gethsemane to the end of time. Jesus not only sees all the pain in the cup, but he experiences all of it. He becomes both the victim and the violator. He becomes the curse of it all. Jesus knows exactly what was in that cup, and he prays, Father, please, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The Bible says in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, that he prayed that prayer in the garden, and the spiritual battle was so intense that blood began to mingle with his sweat in the pores of his body, and, and sweat came through the pores of his body along with blood. Some have disputed that, but medical journals testify to the fact that under great emotional, physical stress, blood capillaries can actually break and burst and flow into the sweat and out the pores of our body. It's Luke who was a doctor before writing his gospel, and he's the one, the only writer that seems to notice that. He evidently understood what the others did not. But from the Garden of Gethsemane to that place of surrender where Jesus there is betrayed in the garden, he's taken to what could only be called a kangaroo court, He's falsely accused before the Sanhedrin, which is the religious leaders of all things. And then he's shuttled back and forth from, from Pilate to Herod and Herod back to Pilate. See, the law required two witnesses, independent of each other, that would bring the same accusation. That's why it took so long, finding two who would tell the same lie. And so they needed to pay them to make it happen. And that's what happened with the mob crying out for Jesus' blood on that night when they stand before Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea. 
He's a politician. He's a political figure. And the people wanted Jesus dead, and they knew how to put the pressure on him to make it happen. The same priests, the same chief priests that hated Jesus, the Bible says it uh, in Matthew 33, they hated him because of their envy. They paid Judas to betray Jesus. They later paid people to lie before the Sanhedrin. And later they paid people to lie to say he wasn't resurrected from the dead. These same chief priests show up with this bloodthirsty thirsty mob early in the morning, already calling out for Jesus' death. Let me tell you, this isn't the same crowd that was waving the palm branches. Pilate, who previously found no fault in Jesus, now is more concerned about losing his appointment with Rome than he is about justice. And so he tries to appease the crowd. He makes a deal. He says, look, I'll release, at this time of the year, I can release one prisoner to you, Jesus, who is innocent, or Barabbas, who is a murderer. Whom would you that I release to you? And Pilate is shocked when the crowd, already queued up by the chief priest, call for the murderer to be released instead of Jesus. And then he asks the question that stands before all mankind to this very day. What would you have me do with Jesus? The Bible says that the chief priests led the chorus. Crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate is seeking a way out of the dilemma. He knows the horrors of scourging. Maybe it'll be so visually shocking that, that it would satisfy this bloodthirsty mob. So Pilate decides to send Jesus to the whipping post. This should be punishment enough for any crime, he would think. And, and yet Jesus was innocent of any wrongdoing. So they stripped him of his garments, tie his hands together at the whipping post. The Jews had a law that limited scourging to 40 stripes. So in order to stay within the boundaries of the law, they would administer 39. But let me tell you, the Romans, they had no such law. And the only limit that was going to keep him alive would be just so that for Pilate's sake, Jesus would not die at the whipping post. But the process was ghastly, and I'll not try to shock you with all the graphic images. I'm sure many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ, and I'll be honest, I have to look, I can't bear, I just, that scene with him being whipped, I, I can hardly watch that. But it's important to understand the sacrifice that he made because the very communion bread that we are about to partake of the Bible says in Isaiah 53, 5, that by his stripes we are healed. By the brokenness of his body, we receive healing in ours. The brokenness of his spirit for the wholeness of our spirit. We need to understand how broken he was to know that he understands how broken we are. And so the flagrum, the whip, with a short handle, the long leather straps. At the end of each leather strap was a piece of stone or bone or, or uh, uh, lead metal to weigh it down as a cutting edge. 
And the man wielding it was a master at his trade. He would, the, it would whistle down upon the body of Jesus and wrap it around his body. And then when he would pull it back, as you could imagine, arms, legs, back, ripped and torn. Only when the life was about to be crushed out of him would the scourging stop. And then they would loosen Jesus from the whipping post and he would fall to the ground amidst the blood and even pieces of flesh littered with his flesh already there. Surely now, surely now they will let him go. But instead they choose to mock and ridicule him Someone brings an old robe and drapes it over his naked body. And another person puts a mock scepter in his hands. And then another finds branches of a thorn bush and weaves it into a crown of thorns and forces it onto his brow. This surely would be enough. But still the mob cries for more. They want his life. The cries of crucify him are still echoing in Pilate's ears. His own wife, Claudius, by the way, had warned him, but he knows that one man's life is not worth his appointment by Rome. It's interesting because we don't know for sure what happens to Pontius Pilate, only that he was reassigned after all of this. Eusebius, the great historian, says that Pilate took his own life but the Eastern Orthodox Church says he became a Christian. I'd like to believe that version of the story. But this moment when he holds the life of Jesus in his hands, it is a timeless moment. It is an eternal moment of sacrifice that God knew would change the course of human history from the foundation of the world. Pilate finally capitulates to the demands of the mob and condemns Christ to the cross. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us much about crucifixion. It simply says that he was condemned to die. And then a few verses later, we read the harsh, startling fact that there he was crucified. But in the day that this was written, believe me, every Roman understood in the Roman Empire what crucifixion was. In the archaeological digs that we discover... <clears throat> It was probably first practiced by the Persians and then the Greeks picked it up, but finally the Romans became experts at it. Every Jew in Israel knew exactly what crucifixion was. But unless we've seen it depicted, we don't really get it. We don't really understand it. And believe me when I tell you, the depictions you may have seen in the movies doesn't really, really help you to understand fully what happened. So terrible was crucifixion that they, the Romans did not ever use crucifixion as punishment for their own, uh, their own people. Only the people that Romans had conquered or their enemies, they used crucifixion. We identify with the Latin cross. In fact, we have jewelry in that shape. We uh, have it carved into furnishings. We, we tattoo it on our bodies. And we've tried to make it a thing of beauty, perhaps to soften the 
the reality of the symbol. And I'm not going to criticize that because let me tell you, at least it's a recognition that we're trying to remember what Jesus did for us. But the archaeological digs tell us that the Roman cross was anything but beautiful. It had two parts to it. The upright part was called the stipes. And it was permanently placed in the ground waiting for the second piece of the cross to be placed. The beam was that portable piece that Jesus would have carried up Golgotha's hill or Calvary. It would weigh about 100 pounds. They didn't nail through the palm of the hand as it's so often depicted in artwork, but it was driven, if it was driven through the palm of the hand, uh, it would peel the flesh, the bone structure, and so rather it was peeled at the base of the hand where the bone structure was strong enough to hold the weight of the human body. Another misunderstanding is that the cross was very high up, and I understand the depiction of that, but the truth is they were usually cru cru crucified close to the ground, which added to the suffering because it meant that others could come and mock and jeer and and spit on them and do whatever to humiliate them and to add to their suffering. When they reached the summit, the centurion would have given the command to bring Christ over to the upright state, state, uh, stave, or stipes, and then strip Jesus of his robe that was draped over his body, throw him against the crossbeam, and one soldier kneels down with the large hammer, grips that hammer, and with the other hand presses that spike into the flesh into just the right place. And I don't know about you, but again, when I've seen it depicted, just the depictions of it, I have to look away at that moment as the hammer comes down. The one side, then the other, and then you watch as they lift that beam up to the point where it can drop into the notch on the stapes. And then the spike is driven through the feet into the timber of that cross. And the whole earth shudders as Jesus hangs there, suspended between heaven and earth, almost as if he's not a part of either one of them. Hanging on the cross, his body would eventually sag. And when he did this, it would pull against the spikes of his wrist, the shoulder joints, would begin to dislodge and fiery pain would move through those arms and explode into the brain. To relieve the pain, he would press down with his feet, his legs, and push up on the cross. And now the pain would leap through the lower part of the body. What I'm saying is, do you understand? There was no position, not one, that did not bring excruciating pain for us. Yet even here... He has time for people. He has time to look into the faces of people that he dearly loves and be concerned for their future like his own mother and like John, giving instructions about how to care for her. He has time for the repentant thief on the cross. Look, you want a picture of grace? You know, I, I think that probably Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are are in heaven. I think that some of those great heroes of the faith are in heaven, probably so. But if you want a picture of grace, the only one that we absolutely know out of the mouth of Jesus that is in heaven today is a repentant thief on the cross 
And Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. Wow. You know, this whole thing of the cross and the pain and the suffering could go on for, for hours. And you may feel like, hey, this description, you know. I mean, I, I don't like telling. I'm skipping over some of the notes because it's painful for me to even share it with you, to be honest with you. So no more about the physical suffering, but just wait just a moment. As terrible as the cross was, and believe me, I haven't been able to describe the pain and suffering of it, but there was another dimension that you must understand. And Pastor Adam and worship team, I'm going to have you come now. As awful as that suffering was, there was a much greater price that Jesus paid. Listen to this now. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. And as Christ hangs on that cross in pain and agony, he reaches back into the Old Testament, into the tent of Abraham, and, and, his, and he takes that deception and he pulls that with him to the cross. He reaches back into Jacob's house and he takes his rebellion and he brings that to the cross with him. He reaches back into the palace where David was and he takes the sin and the, with Bathsheba and the adultery and he, he brings that to the cross with him. And then listen, he reaches forward into Dothan, Alabama. He reaches into the place where you work and he takes the flirtation or maybe goes on your computer and the cyber porn or whatever it is. The social media where the hatred is poured out either against us or for us. And he brings that to the cross with him. He goes into the classroom and he takes the cheating and some of the things that have been said or done and he takes that and he brings that to the cross with him. He has time to gather up all of these things to bring them to the cross. He picks up the phone and he looks at the hatred of the social media, the comments and the things, jibes back and forth. And he knocks on the door of your home. Thank God. And he offers to take the words that you wish you hadn't said. And he gathers them up and he brings them with him to the cross. And he who knew no sin becomes sin for us. And God in his holiness can't even look on his son cursed sin on his own son. And so in that moment, Jesus hangs there all alone and with a broken heart, he looks up. He says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, being interpreted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I tell you, theologians can't explain this to me adequately, but it was total separation. And as the last air in his lungs, 
with the last breath that he had left in his body. Jesus forces himself up so that he can breathe in and he says the words, it is finished. It is finished and it was. But what was finished was anything but a defeat. Because from in that moment, time and eternity are split in two and spun around. And the words that is finished echo across the valley, begin to reverberate through the halls of heaven. Heaven is listening, picks up the refrain, it is finished. It is finished. The angels gathered around the throne begin to carry the praise in their, in their worship. It is finished. Death has been defeated. Sin, death, grave, hell, all of it, it is finished. He has done it. Redemption has been accomplished. Oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Can you just give thanks and praise for the finished work of Jesus Christ this morning? It is finished, he said. Church, that's what this table is all about this morning. It is, it is about what I've just shared with you. In just a moment, Pastor Will and Aubrey, they're going to come up, if they would, please. And they're going to be helping me. What is inside that wine press, of course, is the fruit of the vine. It's been loaded before, we, before the service. The wine in the cluster, as Isaiah calls it. But Jesus told us when he picked up that cup that it was an emblem of his own blood that was shed for us. And even as his body was crushed, so likewise these, the fruit of the vine, the grapes that will yield its, its juice will be crushed. But before we turn that press, I said I would give each of us an opportunity to be sure that we're in right relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. And so would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we come to you in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And we ask, Lord, that as the Spirit of God is settled across this room this morning, that there would be a sense of your presence so real to us that the invitation that you give is not by the words I say, but by the Holy Spirit summoning us in Jesus' name. Just keep your heads bowed for just a moment, and we're going to pray a prayer, a prayer of redemption, a prayer of salvation, a prayer of repentance. But I want to give an opportunity. We're not going to embarrass you in any way, but I want to give an opportunity for every person in this room to get right with God. And so if you've never known the Lord as your Savior, never known the Lord as your best friend in the whole world, I have good news for you that today is the day. If you need him, today is the day. Let's make it right with God today. Maybe you've known the Lord for years, but the truth is you've drifted from God and it's time for you to come back. Come home. And I'm going to lead you in this prayer. But if that's you, I'm going to ask you to respond by lifting your hand all over this room. Would you just lift your hand if that's you and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be included in this prayer. Just lift it up right now. Would you do that so I can include you? Thank you. 
thank you, thank you in the balcony, on the main floor, anyone else. Thank you in the back. Who else this morning? Include me, Pastor. All right. Let's uh, pray this prayer together, all right? Say these words with me. Everyone repeat these words if you would. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I repent of trying to run my own life. And I give to you my past, my present, and my future. This day, cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Give me eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Amen. Can we just thank God for what he just did in the lives of people? Isaiah 53 verse 5 says this. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our sin was upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. If you will just take that piece of bread from your cup. And if someone is beside you and you would like to share that piece, it's large enough you could do that. I would encourage you to do that. The Bible says we're all one body. And the scripture exhorts us to do this to be sure we discern the Lord's body. And so if there's any need for forgiveness, now is the time for that. Be sure to forgive each other if there's anything between you. He broke the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. The brokenness of his body for the wholeness of ours. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26, the Passover that night, when he was betrayed, he took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat. Isaiah continues in Isaiah 53, 6. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. You see, the crushing of the grapes was necessary to make the very wine that Jesus used in that object lesson. On that Passover, he continued with this profound object lesson. He says, 1 Corinthians 11:25. in the same way he took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you would, please take the grape, place it in your mouth, and crush it into juice.
just in our own heart begin to give thanks to the Lord? Aren't you thankful for the gospel story? Aren't you grateful for what he's done? How many know that it doesn't end with Jesus on the cross? How many know that? Well, we're going to read from the great grand finale of all of this. Pastor Mark is going to be preaching on on Easter Sunday, and of course we're going to celebrate the entire weekend, but would you stand with me as we read from Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11? I'm going to begin at verse 6, but when we get to verse 11, I'm going to ask all of you to join with a, with a voice that can be heard in heaven to say verse 11 out loud with me. It says, although Jesus existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God to be a thing to be grasped at, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those that are in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth, say it with me, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Come on, give a shout of praise to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. to 